morning. Okay, uh, second part of two today. I said two weeks ago that this is not a swan song. I'm hoping uh, to be preaching again. But um, as I'm retiring, I just wanted to say thank you for being such a fantastic congregation to speak to. I haven't got that much experience in other churches, but a bit. And there's nowhere like this congregation to bring the word of God, you know, the expectancy and the encouragement that I get. Um, I think every time I've ever preached, I've always had so many kind words and encouragements, and I really appreciate that. I was thinking this week about um, some years ago when I was a probationary minister, and I, I don't know whether they still do it now, but we used to have to preach a couple of times, and some older pastors would come and sit and kind of judge you like on Strictly, you know, and um, sit there with a clipboard. And the first time I did that, it was on the Sunday night, and on the morning, John told everybody what was happening. So when I stood up to preach, talk about feeling the love in the room. Everybody was smiling and egging me on, you know. And uh, I looked up at one point and somebody went like that. And they were really laughing at me jokes. And uh, I honestly think if I'd have done a, an appeal at the end, they'd have all got saved again, you know. just. To <laughs> but I really felt the love in the room, and I always do. So that's thank you for that. Anyway... Two weeks ago, we started this uh, two-part message uh, called Coming Home. And we looked at Jacob, who was called to come home after 20 years away. And he's made some mistakes in his life, and he's also been mistreated by others. But he can see now that God has been with him through all that has happened. Over the years, God had seen it all, and he never forgot his promises. And for Jacob, and also for us... The promises still stand. We talked about our own calling to come home, so to speak, and what that means for us. God says, come back to your first love, uh, back to your first calling, back to the inheritance. Come back to the simple priorities of knowing God and preaching the clear and simple message of the cross, the powerful message that changes lives and in turn changes the world. This is how we go home like Jacob was called to go home. 20 years before, God had promised he would always be with him and one day he would bring him home. And now uh, the Lord said in Genesis 31, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. And R.T. Kendall said, God was saying to Jacob, here I am again, life isn't over yet, there's still time and if you turn your life over to me, I will restore the years the locusts have eaten. I'll forgive all that's happened, all the mistakes you've made and the sins you've committed, not only that, I'll cause everything you've done in the past, everything that haunts you, that leaves you terrified to work together for good. So it's a new start for Jacob. And there are times in our lives when we realize that God has never left us. Whatever's gone on, everything has or will work together for good. And the promises still stand. So being reminded that he's still with you and that his vows still stand. What about your vows to him? You once offered him your whole life. You surrendered your will. Not my will, but thy will be done. You gave him your time and your future and your status and your money and your dreams. You gave it all to him. And coming home may well mean coming back to all of that. Now, Jacob's homecoming was not without a sense of dread. 
He was on his way to meet Esau, the brother he'd run away from 20 years before because he cheated him. And Esau was out to kill him then. But something happened on the way home, something hard to fathom. Jacob wrestled with God. And I think it's important to us because coming home isn't always as simple as it seems. There might be a lot going on that we don't understand and we might struggle with God. On the approach to his old home, Jacob sent messages to Esau to say that he was on his way and that he's a rich man now, so he's not asking for anything. And the messengers came back to say Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men and Jacob was terrified. So he cried out to God and he sent generous gifts to Esau, you know, trying to placate him. And he got his wives and children over the river and then this, it's coming up on the screen, Genesis 32. After he'd sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now, this is a very weird story. It's been called one of the, mis uh, the Bible's mysterious narratives. Up until now, Jacob had good reason to blame other people for all the things that had happened in his life. His brother Esau, his mother, his father, Laban, his father-in-law, Laban's sons, and his own dysfunctional family. Now it looks as though even God is against him. Remember last time we said that towards the end of his 20 years away, Jacob had felt robbed, and as some of you might feel robbed, maybe in your job or your marriage or some other aspect of your life, you feel robbed. And you could blame others, the people you work with, your family, the pastor, the church leaders, whoever. But if everything that happens is somebody else's fault, then where is God? If it's all their fault, does that mean he's just left you to it? I wonder if it seems to you as though everything would be fine if it were not just for that one person or one situation, and you think, if only that was out of the way, I'd be able to soar on wings like the eagle, as the Bible says. If only that one person or that one situation was out of the way. But what if it's God that's in the way? What if there have been times in my life or yours when we were striving for something, and in doing so, we were actually fighting God? I learned this many years ago. The first few years I was a Christian, I was in a church where the role of women was very much defined in a certain way. And I was a new Christian and I wanted to be a good Christian. So I was trying very hard to fit in. And of course I couldn't. And what was I doing? I was fighting God. Although they would have never accepted that. And there was another situation in my life, nothing to do with church, where I was praying hard and praying 
for something to change. And then I came to understand that it was actually God's will. Although I know a lot of people who still wouldn't have accepted that either. But I was fighting God. I was praying for something to change that was the will of God. If you don't realize you're fighting against the will of God, you're going to feel that he's betrayed you when he doesn't answer your prayers. It's been said that 10 out of 10 people feel at some time that God let them down. That 9 out of 10 shake their fist at God and only 1 out of 10 are like Job who said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Well, I don't know if that statistic is absolutely true, but I do know what it is to not understand God at all, but to be called to say to him, even if you kill me, I'm going to trust you. When things don't work out as you expect, the easiest thing to do is to blame the devil or people. But going back to R.T. Kendall, he said, you might have thought your problem was with some enemy or some person or a situation or a habit. So you think if this or that were out of the way, fine. Not so. Your real problem is with God. And when I read that, I thought, really? Because I thought, well, God is always right, and everything seems to be all wrong, so it must be the devil or it must be people. Except sometimes God doesn't work within our expectations, does he? He does things that are baffling to us. So we dismiss that it can possibly be God. You know, if you'd have said to Jacob, how do you think God reveals himself? I think Jacob, the first thing he might have said was in dreams because he'd had that amazing dream 20 years before, you know, when he'd seen the ladder to heaven and so on. But if you look at the Bible and church history, God is so unpredictable. If you look at some of the great moves of God that have swept the world, always different, unpredictable, no formula. Actually, it's been said that every move of the Spirit was opposed by Christians who sincerely believed it must be wrong because it wasn't the same as last time. Well, that throws up questions for you and me, doesn't it, as to will we recognize God when he turns up in a different way, when it seems mysterious to us, when it's so unexpected that we think that can't possibly be God doing that. The Jews thought it impossible that they wouldn't recognize the Messiah. Jonathan Edwards said the task of every generation is to discover in which direction the sovereign redeemer is moving and move in that direction. Actually, that was my advice to our new leaders, to see what the spirit is doing. You know, don't make up your mind what you're going to do and then ask God to bless it. But as Rick Warren put it, ride the wave that the Holy Spirit has created. Jacob would not have expected this manifestation of God's presence. Alone in the dark, wrestling with a stranger. Surely this was an enemy. And I'm not sure how long it took him to realize that he was struggling with his friend. Could you relate to this? It's dark. I don't understand. How can God not explain to me? It's uncomfortable. How can God not care about my comfort? Is your friend putting you through something that you just can't fathom? For me, months ago, going back months, it was probably all the changes at church that was unfathomable to me. But perhaps for you, it has to do with some other aspect of your life. But if you feel that you've lost control and it's dark and you're alone, you think it has to be the enemy. 
when I had no idea what God was doing, this is what I wrote in my journal. I put, if I truly love him, I recognize his right to turn up in any way that's strange to me, and I will affirm his love however much he seems to be hurting me. To let go would have been the worst thing that Jacob could have done. Don't you want to be the one in ten that says, I will not let you go until you bless me? In a way, I suppose that's what Abraham did when he was called to do something that seemed to make no sense, i.e. to sacrifice his son. And look at Mary and Joseph, as we will do next week, obviously. Look at all they went through. Why on earth did God come into the world that way? It was so unexpected. Look at the cross. Even angels couldn't understand that and make sense of it at the time. But God wants our praise, not because he does what we expect him to do, rather because he's God and he can manifest his presence any way he wants. An angel jumping on somebody in the dark, apparently out of the blue. Jacob was boxed in, controlled and bound, even by God, with no way forward. And his response was, I will not let you go until you bless me. I don't know what's going on in your life, and it might be baffling, but God knows what he's about, and I do believe that he has us in his grip. Jacob discovered that God could be tough. God even challenged him to walk away. In verse 26, let me go, for it is daybreak, but he clung on, good for Jacob. Well, some of the things I've grappled with, I can tell you I've put down now. I just want to hang on to God. You know, as I retire, I find less and less do I even want to think about church politics. But more and more I think about people. And I'm thinking it would be so nice to retire and see everybody's prayers answered. But life isn't like that, is it, you know? And I wish nobody had a troubled marriage or money worries or can't get a job or a child that's breaking your heart or whatever it is. But it's real life. And I think to myself, I don't even want to stand up and preach unless it helps. But all I have is God's word. That he wants you to say to him, I will not walk away from you, Lord. Though I understand nothing, I am committed to you and I'm nailing my colours to the mast. And one day you will see that he never left you. Never left your side. That he's seen it all. And he's seen what's happened and he's staying with you and he's never leaving you. And whatever your situation is, you really need to know this, that he is with you in it and that he's seen it. And he wants you to know that the Christian life is not about always waiting for something that is just beyond your reach, but that he's with you now in the here and now. And one day you will see that all things work together for, those, for the good of those who love him. Abraham Lincoln was asked during the American Civil War, is God on our side or theirs? And he replied, all I want to know is whether we're on God's side. In other words, it's not men going their way and then looking to see if God is siding with them or not. It's us recognizing his sovereignty and asking ourselves, are we on his side? God didn't seem to show much regard for Jacob's comfort that night. And he limped away from the experience. But 
We're called to affirm him when he does something that's strange to us, even when it hurts. And Jacob might have limped away, but he did so in victory. After you've wrestled with God, you will limp away because your ego is dead, but that's victory. I once heard a preacher say, never trust a man without a limp. And I ain't got a clue what he was on about. <laughs> but I understand now. He meant the character is formed by wrestling with God. It's the death of the ego. And until that's accomplished, we're driven by our own selfish motives, however well hidden they might be. But when we've wrestled with God is when we can say, like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jacob won because, although he was confused, maybe even disillusioned, fearful of the future, and maybe you can re relate to that, nevertheless, he refused to give up. So he won. He found God at the bottom of the pit, as they say. He discovered that this God, acting so strangely and unpredictably, was his friend and not his enemy. And you need to find this out for yourself. You know, the trouble is that not many Christians own up to the fact that at some deep level they feel as though God is against them. It's more likely that you don't acknowledge that because it would make you feel guilty, but you probably think it must be your fault. So if only you can pacify him and be good and do the right things and not do the wrong things and cling to God and you'll keep him happy. But the good news is that you can stop trying to, that be, to do that because you have no need to appease God. He doesn't want pacifying. Jacob won because he realized this. After years of grasping and manipulating and working his fingers to the bone, he discovers that all he needs to do is cling on to God. The grasper of the heel in infancy and the grasper of his brother's birthright in his youth has become the grasper of God and it's dis he discovers that it's all he needs. And now Jacob will be free. All Jacob's life, his past haunted him. He was the lesser loved son of his father, low in self-esteem, driven to scheming to get his own way, carrying a huge burden of guilt. And later on, the hard worker, driven to get what he wanted in a different way, but always controlled and manipulated by other people. But now he's given a new name in verse 28. Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you've struggled with God and with men and have overcome. In the Old Testament, names were so important He'd been defined by that name that meant grasper, supplanter. And now he's Israel, literally prince with God, chosen by God. And now that he's secure in his identity, he'll get along better with other people. He won't use them and they won't be able to use him. You know, I've met so many Christians who've said to me one way or another, oh, I've got no problem with God, it's people that are the trouble. Actually, you know, when we say that, we are fighting God, really. Uh, because if people are your problem, you need to wrestle with God till he gives you a new name and a secure identity. The angel said you have struggled with God and with men. 
because victory comes this way around, God first, and then people are no problem. After what he'd been through, Jacob received a warm welcome from Esau. God saw to that. They were no longer the two selfish young men that they'd once been. But there had been a price to pay. All-out surrender, brokenness, humility, giving up pride. But wouldn't you rather limp with a new name than walk tall with the ego intact? If you look at the end of Genesis 33, it's coming up on the screen. It said, after Jacob came from Padan Aram, he arrived safely at the city of Shechem in Canaan and camped within sight of the city. For a hundred pieces of silver he brought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, the plot of ground where he pitched his tent. There he set up an altar and called it El Eloi Israel. God, the God of Israel, almighty is the God of Israel. It's been a long time coming, but you know what Jacob's doing now? He's affirming what God has done. He is affirming himself, his own new name, his own identity. It's such a secure place to be when you know your identity as defined by God and you affirm yourself in that, that this is what God says about you. He's finally just letting God love him without having to perform, and this is victory. When you know that God loves you just because he does. You know, we let God be God when we let him love us, even though we don't deserve it. We let him be God when we just let ourselves enjoy being loved because that's what he wants. The pressure to perform, it always arises out of our own self-awareness, but he knows you and me and he knows our every weakness and sins and he still chooses to love you and me. So why shouldn't we just relax in that? He chose us and he has the right to choose. He knew Peter would betray him, but he chose Peter. And knowing you and knowing me, he chose us. And he dealt with everything that got in the way at Calvary. You know, there's so much more I could say, but I haven't got time because I want to pray for you. Jacob set up his altar, a memorial. And I've been thinking about that. You know, the nearest thing that we have to uh, a memorial is our communion table. We remember Jesus' death at the table. At the communion table, we let God love us without having to perform other than that, we don't tend to go in for visual reminders in our tradition. I went to a seminar once where they had, it was all about religious icons and they had these little tablets with pictures of 12th century saints and everything, you know, and I'm not knocking them, but it didn't really help me to persevere in my faith, if I'm honest. Um, but we need a memorial. We need things to help us to persevere and to cling on and not give up. And for me, a scripture is always the best memorial. And I want to um, leave you with a promise that God gave me more than 20 years ago. For my own family and for the church family at Junction 10, God called me to be like Deborah, who called herself a mother in Israel. Yeah, everybody's mom. <laughs> and he promised me many sons and daughters coming into the family at Junction 10, and he fulfilled that promise. So I set it up today like Jacob set up his altar, I suppose, as a way of declaring that our God is mighty 
and that he can easily accomplish this. It's from Isaiah 43. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. God gave me this word for us to come home, to come back to your first love, back to preaching the gospel, back to the message of the cross, that he is the God who sees and has seen everything in your life and he's with you in the here and now. It's not about striving for something that's always out of reach. He's with you now and he chooses you. He chooses not to remember your sins and he says to you this morning simply, don't let go. Don't let go. I want to pray for you because I think there has to be a response actually. Team, will you come out now please? Thank you. I'm not going to ask you to make an outward response. You know, it's not about standing up or putting a hand up or anything like this because this is private and it's between you and God. But the response that I believe God is looking for is very simple. It's you saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. So let's just pray together. And in the privacy of your own heart and mind, will you say to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. If you feel robbed in any area of your life, if you're baffled because things didn't work out as you expected. God hasn't done what you expected. You're not what you expected to become. If you've spent your whole life chasing something that turned out to be an illusion, if you can't see that God has been in it all and with you every day, if there's one situation that gets in the way of everything, if there is one sin that haunts you so you can't forgive yourself, if you feel boxed in, there's no way forward, if you know that you worry too much about what other people think and you're working for approval, if your heart is broken, if you know that you have forsaken your first love, will you say to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Father God, in all these situations, grant us the will to persevere, to cling on, to refuse to give up or go back or walk away. We declare today the words of Jacob, I will not let you go until you bless me. Help us to see you in every situation, to recognize we're not waiting for anything. You're with us here and now. Father God, we're not very good at setting up memorials, but we want to do it now. And so we come before you, and each one of us builds an altar in our imagination as real to you as was Jacob's memorial at Shechem, declaring mighty is the God of Israel. 
And on this altar, we place our hearts, our lives, everything we long for, dream of, everything we say or do or think about, our money, our time, our families, our homes, our jobs, our reputation, our status, our motives. We just give it all to you, Lord. We recognize that you're calling us back to our first love and our first calling. We repent, like the church at Ephesus, of having forsaken our first love. Father God, may our hearts be warmed by your love and burn with passion for knowing you. And we hear your call. You've called us to proclaim good news to the poor to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Help us to be true as we come home now to our first love and our first calling. We will not let you go until you bless us, Lord. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Rachel, but I've asked her if we can sing a song which, to me, sums up the gospel message and sums up our identity, really, in Christ. Thank you. <laughs>